back in the day when I first became a Christian in uh, the early, early 90s, there were a lot of men's Christian conferences going on. Maybe for those of you who are that old, you remember this? Remember the Christian conferences like Promise Keepers, right? I'm sure some of you went to some of those events, and they are very positive events for the men and encouraging. And sometimes men would go to these conferences, I mean, just just a lot of men, just trying to get all pumped up and psyched up, and they would, sometimes they would dress up in manly gear. I'm just telling you. And some of them would, would dress up like a character from the movie Braveheart, uh, Mel Gibson back in the day. You don't know what that is? It's totally okay. But they would paint themselves up and then go to these conferences and be all manly together. So in honor of these conferences of the past and for Father's Day, I want to begin this morning with a story that they would be proud of. Let me tell you the true story. This is a true story. I'm going to show you this image of the machine gun preacher. This is a true story. It's actually a movie. I don't know if any of you have seen this movie. I've not seen it yet. It's been out for a while. The Machine Gun Preacher. This is a true story. Sam uh, Childers was an addict. That's not him. That's the actor, by the way. But Sam Childers was an addict and a criminal who had his life changed by God. So he, he, he was just totally addicted to drugs. He was really in with gangs. And he just totally he gets saved. And then he starts going to church. And with his church, he started going on mission trips, what we do at our church. And he, he went to Africa two times to S- Sudan with his church. And while he was there, I guess the second time, he felt like God was calling him to sell his construction business in the States and to move to Sudan to help orphans. So he, he moves over there. And while he's there, I guess he's starting an orphanage or participating with an orphanage. And if you may, you may know about Sudan, they have some serious militias over there. And the militias over there were really into kidnapping children and turning them into sex slaves and turning the boys into child soldiers. So Sam's there in this orphanage. Now, before Sam was a believer, Sam used to defend uh, like drug lords with, with guns. And so now he's over there and his whole story is defending orphans with an AK-47. Like this is real stuff. And in fact, what he would start to do is he would take his weapons and he would go on raids to rescue the child soldiers, the orphans, and the traffic of girls, and back. When he's like machine gun preacher, like real stuff here, really with the gun, really boring. And so, and he did this for several years, and his orphanage is one of the largest orphanages in southern Sudan with, with hundreds of children. And now if you look him up online, you'll see that he's touring our country and he's speaking at different churches and he's raising money for these orphanages in Sudan. Now, you can take the image down. When you hear stories like that of a man, of that man doing that, and you're a man, and you may be thinking, okay, as a man, you either think one or two things. That story is really encouraging and just makes you want to just man up and be a man, right? That makes you, okay. Or... It makes you feel very intimidated and small, right? You're thinking, wow, I feel really small right now. And like my life means uh, not much. And, and I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. I'm just, this, this just kind of breaks some reality this morning. Most of you guys, I love you, but, but most of you will never be the machine gun preacher, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you won't. But that's okay. All right? 
the machine gun preacher is not held up as the absolute biblical ideal. That's that guy's calling. Great. All right, that's him. But we need to find a more, a more uh, I guess, uh, um, attainable biblical ideal for the man of God. And I, and I think we got it. And it's in the book of, of Psalms. So let's turn to Psalms. If you remember what that's at, middle of your Bible. Turn to Psalm 112. Now, I know I've thrown all of you off at our church by turning to Psalm 112 because our church typically starts in the middle of the beginning of a book and goes through a whole book. And uh, we just did a little pilot on Proverbs. And next week, if you want to know what's coming next, we're going to start Second Peter for the summer. But I feel like we need to take a break for Father's Day because I don't usually always do little special sermons for Mother's Day and Father's Day. But because I did one for Mother's Day this year on Proverbs 31, I feel obligated to go and speak to the guys on Father's Day, okay? It's a little obligation. I'll try not to do it too much. But today, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak to men. It doesn't mean that women can't listen. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that this stuff won't apply to women as well. But I'm speaking mainly to men. And I want to tell you guys, I, I, hopefully with all my sermons, but I just want to tell you today, I'm not planning on wasting words. Like, if I'm going to talk about something from this text, it means I really want you to hear it. So there's not going to be any, uh, any filler, some things I just want to kind of get through. I really have things I want to say from this text that have just come alive and impacted me, and I want it to impact you as well. So I, I hope that you're going to be encouraged and challenged as we look at Psalm 112. Now, now since we've already had it read this morning, if you missed it, sorry, but... Uh, we had it read up front during the worship set. And since we already had it read, I'm going to just kind of take some time to explain some insights from the passage before we go through the passage, because this is absolutely cool. This is, this is amazing, all right? So Psalm 112 is actually held together. I did not know this. It's actually held together with Psalm 111. They're, they're like a matching pair. They're similar in, in many ways. In, in fact, they're, they're both an acrostic. If you look at Psalm 111, you see that little 5, footnote 5? And then you look at Psalm 112, and you see that footnote 6? Well, look down and you read the footnotes. They say the same thing. It says, this psalm, look down below, is an acrostic poem, each line beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which means that they all start with that letters, and they go in succession 11 and 112 are the same. In fact, 11, 111 and 112 both have 10 verses, and they have a lot of the same phrases and a lot of the same things they're, they're trying to get at. But let me just kind of sum up both of them together. Here's, here's the deal. Psalm 111 is about God and his works. Psalm 112 is about the man of God and his works. And they're, they're a matching pair that, that goes together. And the big idea of Psalm 112 is that the man of God will reflect God in his works. So the man of God who's impacted by God will start to act like God and, and reflect God and his works. So let's look at some examples, and then we'll start getting into details. So if you look at 111 verse 3, you'll see at the very end of verse 3 of 111, it says, it talks about God, and it says, And his righteousness endures forever. But then if you look at 112, verse 3, it talks about the man of God. And it says, what does it say at the very end? It says, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, if you go back to Psalm 111, look at verse 4. It talks about the Lord is gracious and merciful. But then if you jump to Psalm 112, verse 4, here's the man of God. It says that he is gracious and merciful and righteous. 
Once again, the last one I want to show you is Psalm 111, verse 5. It talks about the God. He provides food for those who fear him. Well, look at the man of God. What about him? Look at 112, verse 5. It says that he, it is well with a man who deals generously and lends. He, he reflects the Lord in making provision for others. So the whole point of these two psalms together is that the man of God who walks with God will reflect the character of God. Really cool. All right? Now, if we think about the most ultimate one that came to this earth who's reflected God, perfectly, in fact, is the Son of God, is Jesus. And Hebrews 1.3 that says that Jesus is the exact imprint of of his nature. Jesus is God, represents God, obviously. But get this, the man of God, even the woman of God, of course, but I'm thinking of men today, the man of God can reflect the character of God because we have been saved by Christ, we're in union with Christ, we've been filled with the Spirit, and by his grace, we can start to reflect the character of God. The late uh, preacher, James Montgomery Boyce, he kind of put it like this. He gave the, the images of the sun and the moon. For those of you who like images, here's a good one for you. So the relationship between a godly man and and a relationship is like the relationship between uh, the moon and the sun. He says this, the sun shines by its own light. We all agree with that. The sun shines by its own light. But the moon does not shine by its own light. The moon shines, why? Because the moon, kids get this, the moon is reflecting the sun. So you, the man of God, I'm not asking you to shine by your own light and your own power, but you will shine and you will represent godliness as you reflect the character of God in your own life. So you're with me so far. Psalm 111, 112, all right? Man of God is going to reflect the character of God. That's where we're going. We're going to look at some of those reflections, some of those blessings. That's where we're going this morning. So let's go ahead and jump into it, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, once again, these two psalms are connected. Look at the connection by looking at verse 10 of Psalm 111. It shows you the connection here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So we have the fear of the Lord ending Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord, beginning Psalm 112. Now, as we're talking about the fear of the Lord, you say, well, my goodness, are we studying Proverbs again? Because we've been talking about the fear of the Lord and wisdom for the last six weeks in Proverbs. But these are Psalms. And as I've been looking in details of these Psalms this week, I wasn't aware of this, but these Psalms are actually something called wisdom Psalms. And you go, well, what is a wisdom Psalm? That's a very good question. Well, wisdom Psalms actually take the wisdom of the Proverbs and turn them into like prayers and praises and instruction. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So we have the embodiment of wisdom here in the prayers of these psalms. I just think it's really cool. So we have these wisdom psalms here, and it's talking about the, the fear of the Lord. We saw that all the time in Proverbs. And the fear of the Lord is simply talking about uh, the man of God or the woman of God who, who is, has a, a right understanding of God's holiness. We have a terror and an awe before his holiness, but at the same time, we, we want to obey him and, and please him. So it's that combination, fear of the Lord, that terror, awe before a holy God, and yet we're saved by grace and we have his spirit in us, and so we want to obey him and be dependent upon him. So we have a fear of the Lord and a godly man, but it's also connected with the very end of verse 1. Look again. Into verse 1. It says, The man of God, 
greatly delights in his commandments. Remember, guys, no filler. Listen, the man of God fears the Lord and actually likes the Bible, likes what God has to say. In fact, it uses the words delight, which should, we don't use the word delight much, but it would actually make you happy to read the Bible and to see what God's commands have to say to you. And, and that's the man of God. So here's the first big point I want you to get. The man of God fears the Lord and delights in his word, right? The man of God fears the Lord and delights in his word. All right, let's just stop right now. This is one of the bummer things about preaching is that you can get all excited about something and like half are with you and the other half are not, are not, are not with you spiritually. So I just want to, let's just stop. The rest of the passage not going to make any sense to you. In fact, it might make sense to you. You just won't care. <laughs> if you're not fearing the Lord and delighting in his word as a man of God, the rest of the reflections will make no sense. So there'll be no connection with you. You just, you just don't care. Father's Day. Did you know in the American church, Father's Day is the least attended Sunday of the whole year? Mother's Day is the third most attended Sunday all year after Easter and the Christmas Eve. And why is that? Oh, mom wants to go to church. And dad wants to go fishing. (laughs) Or do something else. Who knows what he wants to do? And that's just the reality. And and, and what I'm hoping for is that's not the case here. I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case here. But the reality is, as men, we can get distracted. And we can get off in our relationship with the Lord. And I think it's what's helpful as, as men is just to, be, just to come out and just be honest and say, look, if you're off this morning, if you're distracted this morning, whatever the sin you're into, you just need to, just to, to recognize it. Because some of you are flat out off. And I don't, I don't even know most of you. Maybe you're off. Maybe maybe you're stuck in a sin of lust. Maybe it's, for you, it's greed. Maybe for for some others, it's drunkenness. Some, it's gluttony or laziness. Or maybe you're a workaholic or or whatever. If you're stuck, I just want to tell you this. If you're stuck, you are delighting in this sin, and you are fearing what your life would be like without it. So rather than delighting in the word and fearing God, you're delighting in your sin and you're fearing what your life would be like without it. And as I talk to men and I look at my own life and I go, when I get stuck in sin and and I see that I'm starting to delight in sin, like I get kind of scared if I have to let it go. And I think, well, how do you get out of that? And you say, well, years of counseling. I'm I'm all for counseling. But is that really the answer? Years of counseling before I can get out of my sin and start delighting in God? Is that really the answer? Is that 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 you I mean, I'm not dogging counseling. Don't 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 throw stuff at me. But is that really the answer? Years of counseling before we can start delighting in God and get out of our sin? Guys, I, I think in order for us to move forward with the Lord, we have to get to a point where we are broken, we are just totally just broken over our sin in repentance 
and we just say, Jesus, please forgive us. We, we hate this. We hate that we're delighting in this and, and not in you. And if you start owning your own sin, don't, don't psychologize it. Don't point fingers at anybody else. But just say, do this, do this. Say, you know what? Just be honest. Say, I delight in getting drunk. I delight in looking at porn. I delight in trying to make as much money as I possibly can. I delight in sitting on the couch for hours and trying to eat as much possible that I could possibly eat. Like, that's what I delight. Just start owning your sin and say, I don't, I don't want to delight in that anymore. I want to delight in you. I want to fear you. And until you come to that point, you can go to all the counseling you want. It's not going to have any impact. You can investigate your past as much as you want. It's a delight issue. You're delighting in your sin and fearing what life would be like without it. That's just the way it is. You've got to switch your delights here. And it's only by God's grace. 20 plus years ago, I was delighting in sexual morality. I was delighting in porn 20 plus years ago. And you can just investigate my past all you want before that to explain it. No, it's my sin. And I tell you, what broke me, what broke me out of that was really, really just came right down to it. It's it's like, I've read something, it's like, are you going to delight in this? Are you going to delight in God? Are you going to please yourself? Are you going to please God? And it's like something just happened and just snapped within me and broke me. And I want to ask you guys who are stuck. Are you at that point yet? Are you broken yet over your sin? Because if you're not, the rest of the passage will make no sense. In fact, maybe the rest of your life will make no sense because you're, you're stuck. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's look at the blessings of the Lord, the man who delights in his word and fears him. The second thing I want to say here is put up on the screen. The man of God has children with impact. Let's look at verse 2. It says, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. It's difficult when you think about children and you think about why some follow Jesus and why some don't follow Jesus. But I just want to say it's not 100% true, but it is generally true. That if you walk with the Lord, men, not 100% of the time, but generally true, if you walk with the Lord, your children will walk with the Lord. And they just won't be Christians. The Bible seems to indicate they will be people who have impact. Did you catch it there in verse 2? It says the children will be mighty in the land. That means they will have impact on others. The upright character of the father we passed on to the sons and the daughters, and then they're going to live an upright life with character, and they're going to impact society. And, and, and dad, the best thing you can do for your children is fear the Lord and delight in his commands. Single men who are not even married, the best thing you can do for your future children, for those of you married who have no children, your future children right now is to fear the Lord and to delight in his commands. 
Because what's going to happen, your kids will do what you do, and your kids will get interested what you're interested in. Like, take, for example, throughout Chicago Lamb, you have little kids wearing Chicago Cubs hats. Why? They're a terrible team. Historically, they've been terrible. Why are they wearing those hats? They've been corrupted by their fathers. Do you have another explanation? I do not. Now, I'm not making an equation here with the Word of God or anything, but your kids will get decided about what you're excited about. And if you're excited about God's Word, if you're excited about seeing Christ go to the nations, it's likely your kids are going to take interest. They're going to get excited as well. And they're going to want to have impact. Third thing on the man of God. The man of God endures forever. And before, before we even look at this one, we can go and put the man of God endures forever. Um, one of the things that guys want, I'm sure girls want this too, but I don't know if bad as guys, guys want to feel like what they're doing has like an impact for the future. Not just like for next week, but we want to feel like we're doing something that impacts generations. And we even, if we, if we admit it, if we could admit it, we want to do stuff that kind of impacts eternity. We want our lives here to matter for eternity. And so that brings us to verse 3. Look what it says. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. So this is a general observation about money real quick. We saw this last week in Proverbs. Those who work hard, live a righteous life, in general, will have provision, and some of you are going to cash in and get rich. Most of you won't, but some of you will. But that's not the most important thing here. The most important thing here, if you look at the rest of the verse, is that his righteousness endures forever. His fearing the Lord, his character endures forever. Now, Psalm 111, verse 3, talks about God's righteousness enduring forever, as his faithful character will stand forever. But as, this, as God's righteousness endures forever, so the man who's caught up, as we would say in the gospel of Jesus, his righteousness will endure forever as well. So what we do as Christian men, as godly men, has impact upon the next generation of children, but it also can have impact for eternity. There's a verse in the New Testament, in 1 John 2.17, that puts it like this. It says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So in Christ we will abide forever, but I would also say our works produced by him will also abide forever, that lasting impact. All right, let's keep going. So we have the man of God, fears the Lord, lights his word, children with impact, he endures forever. Let's look at the next one. The man of God is gracious, merciful, and righteous. This is good. Look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now, it's not that the man of God doesn't have any problems. This is a messed up sinful world, all right? We're, 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 we're going to have problems as men. But it says specifically here that um, light will dawn in this darkness, which is another way of saying that God will be with us in troubled times and he will work for our good. And the, and the psalmist, in other parts of David, in other parts of Psalms, he says this in Psalm 127.1. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? 
So the idea is, is we experience troubled times, we have problems. What do we need to be afraid of? The Lord will come in, he will comfort us, he will encourage us, he'll be there for us. But look at the rest of this verse in Psalm 112. Look at the rest of it. Look what also that it says. It says specifically that this man will be full of compassion in the sense of gracious, merciful, and righteous. So as God helps us in our hard times, when we see other people going through hard times, by God's grace, we will be compassionate and gracious and merciful to them because that's the way God's been with us. Now, some of you are going to track what I'm saying next. Some of you are not going to make much sense, but that's okay. Listen to this. When we find those who are closest to us hurting, or maybe we're in conflict with them, the tendency we have as men is to run away from conflict or to run away from tensions. If you're not a man that does that, then let this pass over you. But most of you do. We don't like when other people are hurting or have pain. And so what we tend to do, those closest to us, whether it's your wife, your fiancé, or your, maybe your parents or your your siblings, or even your kids, when, when they go through hard times, what men tend to want to do is flee, is to run away. There is this guy. His name is Buzz Bissinger. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote the book Friday Night Lights. Maybe some of you have read the book Friday Night Lights about Texas and football. Maybe that doesn't make any sense to you at all. They made it into a movie, and it also was a television show. Friday Night Lights, Buzz Bissinger. Well, after that, he wrote another book that just came out, and that book is called Father's Day. Father's Day. And in his book, Father's Day, it's a true story, he talks about his son, how he went on a road trip with his son. Now, as he describes his son, this, this is him describing his son in his words. He says that his son is mentally retarded, and he's in his 20s. So he's with his son who has mental challenges, and they're driving across the country. Now, I want you to understand why they're driving across the country. The book explains on how the dad, Buzz, who wrote Friday Night Lights, is just a messed up guy. He just talks about his sin a lot in the book. And in it, it talks about him and the ways that he has failed as a man and he's failed as a dad how he's, uh, he's narcissistic, he has filled with deep anxiety, he, he's been avoiding pain, he's walked away from relationships. And, and the, the answer that is given is that maybe the dad is acting out because he does not want to respond to the challenges of his son. So since his son was born, he started running away from all the problems. In fact, it's said of him, he feels he's largely been in flight from the realities of his son's life. So what do you do when you've been running away from your son and living in sin for so many years? You try to reconnect with your son. And the book is all about them reconnecting, going on a road trip. But it's a natural tendency as us as men, when we're in conflict with others or there's a problem we don't want to deal with, is we turn inward or we start focusing on other things rather than hitting it head on and dealing with the person with compassion and mercy and graciousness. And because we're men who have been impacted in the gospel of Jesus with God's mercy and compassion, our response should be, we're going to stick this out. We're going to stick it out with those closest to us, and we'll, we'll go through with them. We'll stick with them. We're not going to bail. We want to be gracious and compassionate as the Lord has been to us. 
The next thing is we want to see the man of God. The man of God is generous. The man of God is generous. Look at verse 5. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. So God has given this man provision. God has saved this man. And it's not so that he can focus on himself or just focus on his family. It's so that he can be generous, which he can lend. That means let someone else borrow money. And in keeping with the Old Testament, the man of God lends without interest to those who may have need. And he's, he's, he's a businessman, and so he conducts his affairs with justice, which means that profit's just not the most important thing, but conducting a business with integrity is just as important. But he doesn't just conduct his business with integrity. He doesn't just lend to those who need a loan, but he also gives generously to the poor. Look down at verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So he's not hoarding his cash. He's not using it for more power, but he's distributing. He's scattering it to the poor. If you want to be a man of God, and if you want to reflect the heart of God, and if you totally believe that God reached out to you a poor sinner and made you rich in Christ, you will take what provision you have, and you will actually start to take an interest in those who are physically poor. Spiritually, of course, but also physically poor. I'm intrigued what many Christians are doing in the world today. Do you know many Christians in the world today are, are not just thinking, let's just give money to the poor without using our minds. Let's just distribute it and let them figure out what they're going to do with it. Does it really matter? But I, I am intrigued by a lot of Christians in the world today who are starting to strategize on the way they give money to the poor. They're still just as generous, but they're more strategic. There's a, a book out about this. It's called When Helping Hurts. When helping hurts, that sometimes you can give generously and actually hurt those you're trying to help. So it's a book that kind of challenges Christians to give to the poor in, in a way that empowers them to help themselves. And this is what I would love to see of the men in our church. I would love to see the men in our church, just not all the time, but for the most part, put down the remote control, put down the iPad. Put down the, the, the game controller, just for a little bit, please, and figure out how you will use your life and leverage it in caring for the poor. And I know some of you guys, you, you don't even think about the poor. You're consumed with other things. But I'm telling you, the heart of God is for the poor as well. It's for everybody, but you see particular emphasis. He has a heart for those suffering. And he has called you as men and women to give some time to this, to think strategically how you will utilize your finances, your money, your time for the poor. This is not a little side issue. And and get this, helping the poor is not just for the sensitive man. It's not for the man who looks at the poor kids on TV that need food and that man starts crying. Don't think that helping the poor is just for overly sensitive men and since you're not one, oh well. No! Helping the poor is reflecting the character of God. It's a, it's a manly thing to do. 
I mean, look again at verse 9. Look again at verse 9. It says at the very end, his horn is exalted in honor. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, well, the horn of an animal showed its strength. So here, the man's strength of reflecting God, even in caring for the poor, is lifted high in honor. God values the man of God who cares for the poor. It is a strong thing to do. All right, the next one. Wrapping it up here. It says, the man of God is stable. The man of God is stable. Verses 6 through 9. For the righteous will never be moved. This is my favorite part, by the way. This is my favorite part. The righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Uh, guys, are you afraid of bad news? Maybe about your job, your family, life, health. It says specifically, this guy's not afraid of bad news. And it's not because it doesn't ever come, because bad news does come. But this guy right here says his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. That means that God is sovereign. God is in control. He's involved with all the events in your life. And when he chooses to bring your way, you totally trust him. Your heart is steady in him. So you don't walk around feeling like the world is about to crash in because God is in absolute control. And your heart trusts him. I mean, do you ever have situations in your life where you're, you're waiting for bad news? And you may even know that bad news is coming. And what does that do to you? Does it make you just anxious, worried, freaked out? And in fact, there's a situation in our life. I've been talking about it over the last several weeks. There's a situation in our life right now where we are anticipating bad news. We've been tipped off by uh, our foster care agency that they, we've been tipped off that it's highly likely they're going to attempt to move our um, sixth child, our foster son. They're going to attempt to move him not to his parents, but to another situation. But I don't want to get into all that. I've been tipped off this is about to happen, and we thought it was going to happen this week. So every single day, we're waiting for the phone call. Every day. We're waiting for the call. And if that call comes, it'll involve a lot of other events and appeals and all that. But it's, when that call comes, it will be bad news. But the Bible doesn't say no bad news ever comes to the man of God. No, no. It says he doesn't fear it. What does it mean he doesn't fear it? Well, why wouldn't he fear it? Because God is God. <laughs> He's in control. Does it mean that he's even going to work it the way we want it to work out? We don't even know that, but we know that he's working for good. He's in control. He's full of love. He's gracious and compassionate. And so the man of God, in the face of bad news, is probably going to come his way. He's firm, stable, trusting the Lord. And I'd love to say that I exhibit that perfectly, but this week I didn't always do so well. But I want to be the man of God trusting and firm in the Lord. Well, we didn't get into talk about the wicked much. In fact, there's only one verse for the wicked. Did you see it? Verse 10. The wicked man sees it. 
and he's angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. It's like the man who is wicked doesn't like it that the man of God is prospering. He's angry, but it doesn't matter because he is passing off the scene while the man of God endures forever. So let's just summarize it all by saying this. The last statement is the man of God reflects the character of God. The man of God reflects the character of God. Wouldn't you love that to be said of you? Wouldn't you just love that of your life? Wouldn't you love that your life reflected the character of God? And it's never going to happen, guys, unless you are in communion with God. I'm going to go ahead and come back to right where we started. If you're not fearing the Lord, wanting to obey him, desire him, and if you're not delighting in his commands, and if you're not communing with him in those ways, you will not reflect God. You'll reflect a lot of other things. You'll reflect your interest in sports. You'll reflect your interest in finances. You'll reflect your interest in your major, your field of study. But those who commune with God, spend time with God, enjoy God, enjoy his work, will start to reflect God. There are these guys and girls hundreds of years ago called Puritans. I know sometimes we we talk about them negatively. We shouldn't. A lot of positive things to say about the Puritans. And when I read the Puritans, which I don't often because they're very difficult to read, and I don't want to seem like I'm a smart guy who reads Puritans, but sometimes you can actually understand their stuff. And some of those guys and girls, they seem to have a relationship with the Lord that, I mean, I, I know there's, I don't want to talk about levels, but they're way up here. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you really walked with God. And, and Puritans were really into this concept of communing with God. There's this guy named J.I. Packer. He actually wrote a whole book about this, about Puritans communing with God. He, he, it's, his book's called A Quest for Godliness. And I'm trying to understand the difference between Puritans and us. And he says, well, let me tell you, this is the way you understand the difference between Puritans <clears throat> and us, what he means most Christians today. The Puritans, he says, they had, they viewed, they had this vision of communing with God. I mean, just spending time with God. And they thought that was a great thing. But he says, but for Christians today, communing with God is actually a small thing. And he says, he knows it's a small thing for us. It's because we don't talk about it much. So when we hang out with Christians, we say, okay, how was your week? What have you been doing? How are your kids? You know, we talk about things, maybe what are you doing in church? How's your ethos community? How are you serving the poor? What are you struggling with? But when we get together... As Christians, maybe, maybe, maybe this is not your experience, but when we get together as Christians, rarely do we say, man, I'm experiencing God. I was spending time in his word, and he was just speaking truth to me. The power of the Holy Spirit was just coming alive. It was amazing. I was just praying and talking. I had a great time communing with God. Like, when's the last time you talked to someone else and had that kind of conversation? And Packer would say, it's because communing with God for us is such a small thing. But what we want as men, we want to say, wait, 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 let's pause. Communing with God is a great thing. In fact, it's the best thing. 
We get to spend time with the God, the universe who saved us through Christ. We get to understand his word to us. We get to have the experience of the Holy Spirit just, just filling us so that we can know him more and have this experience with him and praying and talking to him. That's, that's a great thing. And what we should start to do as men is talk about it. It's okay. You're not bragging. You met God. Don't, it's not a bragging. It's okay. to say, like, I am learning the word here. God's convicting me here. I'm having joy here. Let's talk about more and more of our times of communing with God. And we want to make it a great thing. And if we make communing with him a great thing, spending time with him a great thing, guess what? We'll start to reflect him. And we'll start to be more and more like him. And we'll start to do more and more of what he desires, his heart's desire in our lives. And it comes with fearing him, delighting in him, and communing with him. Let's pray. Father, we want your heart to be our hearts. We want your will to be our wills. We ask for forgiveness. And there are any of my brothers in here, even if there are any of my sisters in here who are off this morning, who are stuck in sin, who are not broken, I just ask that you would invade their lives and break them. And if we're delighting in anything else besides you, if we're caught up in some sin, whether you know what it is, God, you know, may we start to delight in you more. May we repent and find forgiveness in Christ. May we move past this phase of sin and mature and grow up and walk with you and delight in you. If we need help, we need someone to pull us out, may we confess to our brothers, confess our sins to our sisters, confess to one another. Be great to us. And even as we sing these last two songs, Lord, I just ask that you would meet us. We wouldn't just say, oh, here's some songs to sing. But we'd think about, wow, there is actually great joy to be found and being with you, there's joy to be found in communing with you. That's the, that's the greatest joy. Lord, make that real to our hearts as men and as women that we have absolute joy in spending time with you. And we want to give you our hearts as men and women. And may you totally consume us as Lord. Continue to do work in us today. In Christ's name, amen.